Yeah, let's go, bro. I'm down. This is based with Des and Hiram. Hello, everybody. Hello. It's Carissa Des. Des and uh, Hiram. Uh, We're here for a live podcast episode with our friend Miguel, who uh, is a fellow anti-fascist and also a podcaster. Awesome. uh, Yeah, I can't wait. He's actually in the waiting room now, so let's do our introductions and then we'll let him in. How's your week been, Hiram? It's been good. Uh, Tiring. I'm back to work after the holidays. I've been spending a lot of time with my family and I feel like it's been a good time, you know, with my mom and with my brother and sister. Uh, I don't, I think as our, as our family has progressively become more financially stable, I've realized that, you know, our holidays have become more cheerful. So whoop, whoop. Yep. I mean, money doesn't always bring happiness, but it definitely helps to be comfortable. I've just been editing a ton and um, doing that thing and staying sober. I'm not drinking anymore. And I also recently became a vegan. So dealing with the, um, you know, just getting used to that, getting a healthy body and uh, healthy mind and uh yeah, it's it's been great so far. I haven't gone out in like two over two months. I've just been kind of a hermit working on things, art projects and, and things also. So, yeah. Hell yeah, that's awesome. Those are some positive changes. Um, definitely, Carissa, I always say this, you're uh, an inspiration. And, and I like the derivative of that word because it's a breath of fresh air. Oh, okay. Uh, inspiration inspire Inspire. oh it makes sense but i've never thought of it that way all right here we go let's see if miguel's still there he's been waiting for a while miguel allegedly allegedly we don't even know if it's really him hello hello hey there how's it going good how are you good ready to do this yes sorry to keep you waiting Oh, it's all right. Uh, yeah. I have a technology demon today, gotcha. which I have sometimes. <laughs> it happens. No worries. It's funny because I like do editing all the time, and I use technology constantly throughout my day, but it still haunts me a little bit. Yeah. It's going to be the death of me. I have a love-hate relationship, like I told you. How have you been? How was your uh, holiday season? It was good. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's been a lot of places shutting down due to coronavirus right now. So Olympia is not doing too well with uh, things, but otherwise, yeah, I had a pretty good holidays. How about you guys? Same, same. Yep. Spent time with the family and um, that's about it. Just had a really relaxing holiday. So Yeah. Uh, I can't say any different. I I did get to spend it. uh, Well, I spend it every year in Mexico. So that was, was fun. Nice. Yeah, what part? Uh, right at the border. Uh, Ciudad Juarez is where the majority of like all my 150-something cousins live. So. Wow. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Uh, no TV back then. Like 150-something. Oh, wow. I thought I had a lot <laughs> of cousins. 
my uh yeah no uh they didn't have tv back then in mexico i don't know my uh my grandma had 14 kids and then my other grandma had 13 so oh wow <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's my, that's what my mom always says like when she talks about like you know how they used to have a lot of kids she's like it's because there was no tv Oh, yep, yep. <laughs> so, Miguel, I actually met you through the um, social justice protests. Uh, you are a live stream. You're an independent journalist as well as um, Hiram and I. And I met you on the ground a few months ago, but we had been following each other on social media since we're both, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, I saw a lot of your posts and I saw recently that you started your own podcast and it's called, um, the post capital, right? The post capital. Yeah, that's correct. Where, where can people find that? Uh, that is on Spotify right now. We are working to expand other platforms, but, uh, yeah, that's our current project right now. It's me and my friend, Michael, which, uh, called a post-capitalist and anti-fascist analysis of the news. So basically, you know, really specifically talking about anti-fascism and uh, movements, things like that. So Very cool. Today, we will be talking about your experiences in the Mormon church. Uh, I posted something in my story. I was looking for somebody who had escaped a cult. And I had like 10 people reach out to me saying that they were part of churches like, you know, the Mormon church, the Seventh-day Adventist church and uh, Southern Baptist and stuff like that. And I didn't even, I had no idea people would be reaching out to me about churches. I thought it would just be like these, you know, people would be reaching out. It had been in these cults, these like small cults is what I imagined, but it was all people who had been very religious who are now, you know, anymore. So I thought that was interesting. You kind of imagine like Heaven's Gate when you're thinking about cults. Yeah. You know, that's uh, when you posted that on your story, I did feel a little strange about reaching out with my specific experience being the Mormon church. Cause I know, you know, there are more cults out there and more culty things. Uh, you know, honestly, if you were in the Olympia area, you could find a lot of people that are tied to the Ramtha cult. Uh, and that's, you know, much more of an actual cult cult. Uh, but I would hold that, you know, although the Mormon church has like 16 million followers worldwide, it is very cultish. It has uh, a lot of cult-like behaviors and a lot of cultish beliefs. So, you know, excited to talk about it because that has uh, been a part of defining some of my work, you know. Absolutely. How long were you in the Mormon church? Uh, well, you know, I crossed the border when I was uh, seven years old and uh, I got adopted by a white Mormon family coming across uh, you know, I was born in Tijuana. Uh, yeah, since I was like around 11, really, that's when I became integrated into the church. And I quit when I was about 17 because I got I got sick of it. I also came out at that point, And that was another big part of, you know, why, what they don't accept in the church. But yeah, so probably about eight years. And then um, I kind of made my own decisions, you know. And had you the opportunity would you have made those choices earlier or or was it like you know at 17 you came to the epiphany you didn't want to go or have you had you been holding off for a long time and then at 17 you finally decided you were ready to let go yeah no i 17 was when i decided to let go because i had been debating a lot with uh, a lot of the church's beliefs um you know some things i'll talk about 
as well. But really it started when I was uh, like about 14. That's when I started to question. And it was uh, actually just reading their own books and their own Book of Mormon gave me a bit of an idea as to how fucked up they were. Yeah. So you just started realizing yourself or like, did you talk to other people about it or was it just something that you kind of kept in and you were like, man, this doesn't feel right or... You know, this is uh, this is kind of part of what makes the Mormon church very cultish is that my my social circle was limited to just people in the Mormon church. And like that's kind of a lot of Mormons choose to encapsulate themselves and have that be their community. So, you know, although I went to public school and everything, I didn't really talk about it there because I grew up in Utah for quite a few years. And, uh, you know, in that instance, that was that was where. I guess like uh, most of the people that I went to school with were Mormons, right? So didn't really get the, the opportunity to challenge it myself too much. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll just go ahead and start it off by saying like it, it started with me being 14, reading the Book of Mormon. Um, you know, there's a, a very deeply cultish belief that they have in the founding of this continent. Uh, you know, I'll give you a little bit of a rundown for those that don't know the Mormon church. It's a lot like the Seventh-day Adventist church as well, because, you know, now that you mentioned that it was actually founded around the same time, the 1830s. And the people that founded that church knew each other and they had a lot of similar beliefs. Okay. Um, it was yeah. uh, Joseph Smith that was the founder of the Mormon church. Did he have any involvement with Seventh-day Adventists? Uh, I mean, it, as far as I know, he knew the founder of the Seventh-day Adventists. And um, actually, so he started out his whole little starting out this church with the Great Awakening uh, in the 1820s, which is when, you know, there was a huge religious revival across the states. A lot of people were turning towards Christianity. And uh, with that, he he started to question other churches. And he's like, you know what, I'm going to make my own church. And that's Seventh-day Adventist was one of those churches made in that wake. So, you know, he knew a bit about it. He had attended. He chose to go his own way with the Mormon church. Uh, but yeah, Joseph Smith uh, founded the Mormon church. He was 14 and he says he had some vision and uh, saw that two. In, uh, New York. Correct. Right? Yeah. Uh, in upper New York, I believe it was, I forget the name of the town. It's around the Finger Lakes. Anyway, no, so he, you know, he claims that he saw this vision of God. He claims that he, God came down and gave him golden plates that he translated into the current book that the, the Mormons use, the Book of Mormon. And, uh, you know, specifically with that book, it is, a lot of people describe the Mormon church as the most American religion. Because it is very deeply about the concept of America being the promised land to the colonizers, you know. Wow. Okay. And it does it, have it's, something to do with indigenous people too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's about didn't the Mormon Church didn't it start because you know settlers wanted to bring indigenous people closer to God? Wasn't that part of you know why it started in the first not not necessarily but they do have a very racist view of the indigenous people they've uh, they've created their own history to the indigenous populations of the united states uh their belief that the book of mormon teaches that there was a family living in israel back in like 600 bc and they decided to leave because of a king named zachariah so they got onto boats and they sailed all the way over to the Americas and on their, on their travels. And when they got here, they believed that they were the first people to found the continent, which is a bit ridiculous to me. I mean, 600 years before the supposed birth of Christ, 
Well, obviously our history here is a lot longer, you know. However, uh, what they believe is that when the family got here, they had a split, you know, between the people that wanted to follow the, the uh, Jewish God and the people that wanted to, you know, just worship their own gods, whatever. But what they claim is that the half of the family that split from God all got brown skin. So but what they believe is that that society, the, the white people were the Nephites and the brown people were the Lamanites. And they got into this perpetual conflict for like 1400 years until all the people, all the white people were wiped out is what they believe. And then they believe that all the native tribes, all the Aztecs, descendants, whatever, um, they believe all of them are the remnants of the evil people. Yeah. So, and, and you know, like with all the of, conflict, uh, our ancestors, all, yes. our ancestors. All, all of our ancestors were evil. And that was like, I, I was reading that when I was 14 and I looked at my mom, who, you know, who's white and adopted us from uh, coming from Mexico, me and my two younger sisters. And I was like, Hey, like, I, I feel weird about reading this. Like, are you saying that all my ancestors are evil and yours are all cool? I don't know. Yeah. It's uh it's, it's a very racist view. And yeah, there's a reason that it's called the most American religion because all of their lore centers around the United States. And um, it's some pretty, some pretty disgusting manifest destiny type shit where they, you know, they believe that this land is their white promised land, even though yeah. I mean, it's it belongs same to us. Sto- the same story that we've been hearing in our, you know, from our textbooks for years. Absolutely. <laughs> Similar story. Yeah. That white people are the supreme and you know everybody else is causing problems for them yeah, absolutely and it's interesting that you uh you know mentioned manifest destinies like uh offshoot but it, it would feel to me almost like if uh, they may have even developed in parallel right like because manifest destiny very much so was like this idea that there was a higher supernatural purpose for the you know, colonization of the United States. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was like colonizing, but make it religious. And it sounds like, you know, we have a lot of similar tropes there, even to the point where you might think they share, you know, ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of what it's based off of, especially with the Mormon church, because they believe that this, this land is theirs. This was also another thing that got me when I was a kid. Uh, they believe that you know, where Adam and Eve were created and what have you, according to the creation story. Um, they believe that that is actually in Jackson, Missouri of all places, like Mm. specifically Jackson, Missouri. I don't fucking know why the church did get started in New York, but they, they kept trying to build these little communities for their church and they kept getting kicked out from place to place to place. Wait, Let me, okay. Let me clear this up. So they think that garden of Eden is in Missouri. Yes. Jackson. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't, you know, and it just doesn't make sense because obviously they believe that all the people that founded the Americas came from the Middle East, you know, and that is that like, if if you talk to people who actually studied theology and things like that, they believe that the Garden of Eden existed. It's 100% in like Yemen or something, you know, Um, but no, definitely. (laughs) It's uh, yeah, it's a pretty wild belief because it's very much their attempt to try to make it as American as possible. Uh, Mr. Mr. Allegedly, how parallel would you say Mormonism is to Christianity? Like, what are similarities, differences? Well, um, you know, when I'm discussing Mormonism as a cult, there are a lot of people that want to try to say specifically, you know, Christians on the right. They want to try to say that the Mormons aren't Christian, you know, per se. 
Uh, they very much are. They do believe in like the Bible. They believe in Christ. They believe they believe in all of that. You know, they believe in the resurrection of Christ and blah blah blah. The so they do, they're completely Christian. They're they're one difference with a lot of churches is they believe that the white God, because of course it's a white God. Uh, they believe like th- that uh, God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit are all three different entities. And there's some churches that believe that, but that's a lot of the reason that people try to say, oh well, you don't not actually Christian. They're Christian. They're very Christian. Um, and they have a lot of beliefs that like tie in. However, you know, what I, what I see kind of as the problem with Mormonism, organized religion, and, and really just like that, that specific branch of Christianity, it tends to have a lot more fascist talking points. Um, I mean, particularly because they believe that this nation was kind of their white ethno state and they got fucked over. But yeah, that's, like to them, I guess what I'm trying to say is that Mormons are a lot more prone to be evangelical Christians, you know, like extremist Christians. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. In contrast to Christianity, uh, it seems like Mormonism is much more, like you said, focused on the United States. And when you have that kind of rallying around like one particular location, a race of people, you start seeing that there's more ideas of like nationalism, you know, uh, and, and, and things where people like kind of group, you know, themselves together and then see everyone else on the outside as an enemy. So yeah, it sounds like Christianity, but even smaller. Yeah. It's a very niche form of Christianity. And yeah, it's interesting because I don't know, that's kind of like another thing that I've thought about with the Mormon church is that, you know, with Christians, I met a lot of Christians that don't believe that the earth is 6,000 years old. You know, they don't believe <laughs> a lot of them are like that. The Bible's kind of a metaphor. It's a way for us to be able to lead our lives, which is something I totally, you know, acknowledge. And I think is, is a good way to lead your life, not use it for law and policy. Um, however, the Mormons are a lot more prone to try to affect government over, over this. And it's because of the way they were founded. Uh, they had several communities, like I was telling you, uh, Nauvoo, Illinois, Winter Quarters, Nebraska, a bunch of different places that they try to build these communities. And the, the community in the area ended up continuing to kick them out. Governors kick them out because of their, you know, they tried to say that they were persecuted. And I'd say that they were persecuted from like for a little bit from the beginning, but partially it was because they kept going into communities, marrying a bunch of women. Like they had a problem with polygamy and it it just, and they kept like organizing societies that were separate. I I guess, you know, it's a little bit of that, uh, that dual power. That's what I find very funny about the Mormon church now is that, for the most part, most Mormons are extremely right-wing. You know, there's, I would say that it's interesting because the the communities that they founded in the beginning, Nauvoo, Illinois specifically, were socialist havens. They were very much socialist. Everybody had to give a certain percentage and then it was spread equally among whoever needed it. So like, yeah, they went from being, and, and when they founded Utah, because that's the people that founded Utah as the Mormons, uh, they, they had to trek all the way from Nauvoo, Illinois came came to utah and then they founded their own government you know and like they actually intended to be their own country mm-hmm. and they went to war with the united states over it but hmm. you know, I didn't know that. it was a social I, thing from the beginning talking about that do you think that in the mormon religion uh there's a i guess a, a bigger disposition to reject notions of things like freedom of speech freedom of religion 
uh, more classical liberal ideas that, you know, we uphold as a country because they're very America oriented. Right. But America is founded on classical liberalism. We're one of the first countries to adopt classical liberal liberalism. And I'm talking not like liberals, you know, like today left. I'm talking like ideas of like democracy, you know, autonomy, human rights, et cetera. Yeah. Do you think yeah. that like, I, it, it even sounds like there could be a contradiction, right? Because the it sounds like the Mormon religion is very America centric, but then America is very classical liberalism founded. But then classical liberalism allows for the freedom of religion, which sounds like it'd be contradictory. Maybe I, that see that's my question. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point, and I just what I find funny is the fact that the Mormons love America so much, even though during the first like ten years of them starting out their church they were 100% persecuted by the American government and they went to war with the American government. Uh, but, you know, it's a lot like the Puritans when they came across from the pond, if you will, they, they said that they were doing it for the sake of freedom of religion. Right. But then they ended up building societies where they refused anybody who was not part of their religion and kicked them out. The Mormons did the same, you know, they, they, said that they were for the freedom of speech, freedom of religion. But once they actually got to Utah, it was very much like, this is our society. We're going to build it this way. You have to adhere to our standards. And they wiped out a lot of indigenous people in order to, to do that. Would, would that government that they attempted to establish in Utah, I don't know the extent of your knowledge, but would that have been considered a theocracy, like a religion-based yes. government? Okay, that was that was exactly their intent. It's not like they were going to found a separate government and have the Mormon Church alongside it. The yeah. plan was for Brigham Young to lead the new nation, and he did so, become the governor for a little bit once they became a territory. So, like establishing a government, like a theocracy, and probably not upholding the freedom of religion. It's interesting. It's, freedom of religion, who? <laughs> It's a, yeah, it's interesting, especially with the concept of the government, the U.S. government alongside it, because like I was saying, they did go to war. It was James Buchanan, who was the president at the time. He got these reports that and it was you know, particularly from people that really didn't like the Mormons. But he got reports that they were trying to build their own country. And then also they, they claimed that they were uniting with the uh, with the indigenous people in order to be able to create that government, which was completely false. Like they did not like the indigenous people. They did not like black people from the beginning, but they did. Uh, yeah. So James Buchanan sent over like a battalion of soldiers and they ended up like going to through a small war. And it was really interesting because the Mormons didn't know how to fucking fight. All they did was they built a lot of things that looked like cannons enough to scare them off. And that was, yeah, they just kind of hid in the mountains and that was pretty much it. That's kind of a funny picture. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's incredible, though. Uh, honestly, I, I had no clue that there was this conflict between the U.S. government and, uh, I guess, the Mormonism as an institution. I had no clue there was that attempt to establish a government, which, I mean, in itself is like, you know, a huge undertaking. Do you know approximately how many people were like actively participating or working on building that government? Was it a large amount of the population or? Well, it was it was anybody that moved to Utah at the time. Actually, what they first wanted to call the place was Deseret, which, according to one of their books, means bee, like like a honeybee, you know, because they're, they're they view themselves as industrious people. They they work together. They things like that. So it is kind of socialist, even though they uphold. That's what I was going to say. It sounds like a socialist society. Yeah, it it is slightly socialist, and what their intention was to have it be completely socialist, where you know you gave your dues to the church, and then the church took care of you. 
Um, so yeah, it was, there was a large trek. It was, yeah, I think it was 1847 was when they officially started trekking over, but there were huge wagon trains that were going over to Utah to settle and create Salt Lake city. Wasn't it the 1820s that uh, Mormonism started? So the 1820s was the great revival, the uh, great religious revival. That was when uh, Joseph Smith had his vision and he started working on some of it, but it was 1832, I believe, that they were officially founded as a church. So he just birthed it in his mind in the 1820s. Yeah. (laughs) It seems like it's, I mean, it's the human condition to want more power when you have it. And it seems like that's kind of what happened with the leaders of the Mormon church. And I see that, and you see that happening with many religions. You know, there's somebody who has power over all these people in a church and maybe their intentions were pure and good to begin with, but at a lot of churches, they start making money and they have this power. And even though they see themselves as holy people, they you know still give in to greed. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of what happened with Joseph Smith too. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys know, but he was assassinated um, by a lynch mob. Actually, yeah. So he was arrested in Carthage, Illinois. And a large mob of angry white dudes showed up and shot him and his and a couple of his friends. Uh, and those people survived, but he, he was shot dead. But the whole thing is, because I, you know, when you learn about the Mormon church, growing up in the Mormon church, you hear about the history of, of their prophets. Like they believe that there are, that these people are the chosen men of God. And there's like a line of them and they're all men, of course. Right. But you know, they specifically tell a very different story, a cult-like thing where they're just lying about why the why in the first place Joseph Smith was arrested. Do you never really hear an explanation in the Mormon church or you hear, oh, it's because he was a Mormon. But the actual law that they got him on was that he burned down a printing press in Nauvoo, Illinois, that was putting out things bad about him. And like he, he just got pissed off and decided to burn it down. So. He had a lot of pride, too. Yeah. Like all very, the- uh... Freedom of the press. Not something I think it is. I was going to say that's very symbolic. I mean, of all the things you can burn down, you you burn down the printing press, the number one uh, way of disseminating information at that time. You know, it was like, I don't know, it was a breakthrough. I mean, it's the reason we have journalism today. For example, like yellow journalism and its significance in the industrial era, all of that. Wouldn't have been possible without the printing press. Uh, you know, they they uncovered all the secrets of the meat industry back then and stuff, all because they could spread all this. What a what a symbolic way to kind of establish your values and principles as a person and maybe as a leader of uh, your institution. Yeah. Uh, somebody said in the chat said that uh, Joseph Smith was tarred and feathered. You know, yeah, that. he he'd okay. been tarred and feathered. Multiple of their leaders were tarred and feathered. That's why it, that's why it's so funny that they have like such a deep love of this country when they got fucked up by members of the country who supposedly support free freedom of religion, freedom of speech, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, that uh, that definitely happened. He got tarred and feathered a few times. <laughs> and I think that is done to obviously humiliate the other person and um, seem like he was a man who was full of pride. And that probably no, it's like uh, pissed him off. By okay. the way, happy January 6th. I don't know if I'm supposed yes, to say yes. that, but, but it, I think the Democrats are calling it Democracy Day. Democracy. Oh, is that what we're going to call it? No, and I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> democracy Day. Yeah, this is uh, democracy. Biden got elected, I guess, and 
that's kind of nothing. Um, yeah, no, with, uh, I was just bringing it up because at the Salem Capitol, I remember last year they did have a effigy that they made of governor Kate Brown that they tarred and feathered. So yeah, that's still something people are fucking doing for some reason. It's the same thing they did during the American revolution, but it used to be cool. Now it's a bit cringe. What, what do you do after that? Like, how do you, how do you walk away from that? After being tar and feathered, like how do you even get that? How do you even get it off? That's yeah, it's hot tar, and they it burns your skin. Like, yeah. And then basically, you you just have to wait for your skin to shed. Oh man, that sounds awful. But don't be shitty to the uh, community. I mean, yeah, back then that was like Miguel. So when I when I when I think of cults, right? Um, I I think of I mean many things, and I think that like. You categorize cults depending on, you know, how close they are to actually being a cult. And I think an important part of it is really looking at their hard policies, right? Because a lot of religions function like cults, but it's more like a intuitive, implicit thing. Other religions, like, for example, even the Jehovah's Witnesses institution, they have policies in place that are, you know, very obviously cultivating a cult like exiling people that disagree uh or you know not talking to folks that are not and, and that's like an actual rule it's not like a not, not an implied thing or not like a cultural thing yeah 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 yeah, yeah you get what i'm saying what, what are some of those hard policies that well yeah, you know the mormon church definitely does exile people when they do not fall into you know whatever they believe like if you're caught in some kind of sin per se you can be denied being able to go to church at all would something as personal like watching porn get yeah. you? I mean, yeah, if like if you do it long enough, obviously they do have some like some measures for forgiveness and repentance and blase blah. So you can do your penance, but at the same time, they they do have a cap, right? And it's like mm-hmm. you know they they have exiled a lot of people. However, you know something as simple as like watching porn, they're probably not going to ban you for, which is another thing that they forbid. Um, but specifically, their their view on gay people or queer people or trans people is. What, what is pretty deeply concerning, because that is a way to get yourself banned, especially if you transition or if you are questioning your gender and you express that at all to your bishop, that can very much be a reason for you to be excommunicated. Yeah, they so there's that. You out, there's, that's all that happens. You just can't, what, what, can't what's the extent? And then also you're alienated from your whole community, I'm sure, because nobody wants and to that's, you know, that's a big part of it. communicated from their church. That's like the other half of it is that it, I mean, it is slightly cultural in that sense that, you know, Mormons are very, very insular and to the point that if you are to walk away from their teachings, you're probably not going to be accepted by your family because it is a really big thing, you know. Um, What's the extent of like exile? Uh, Because I know like for Jehovah's Witnesses, like you're not even allowed to talk to your parents uh, if you are exiled, like if you're excommunicated got to move out of the house, got to stop talking to your cousins, got to stop tapping to a few of my family members. Well, that's, you know, that, that the Mormon church doesn't necessarily have policy around that specifically. Um, they can ban you from going to church. They can ban you from participating in several of their rituals, if you will. But uh, no, I mean, they don't necessarily have a rule. However, it is, it is a cultural thing in the Mormon church where if that, that often happens that people do get kicked out. Your parents won't talk to you anymore, things like that, because you're questioning the church at all. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it's just, they, they have very harsh policies around like doing everything your parents say and 
I think the other part of what makes a cult like is, is how much they forbid you from doing a lot. Like you can't watch our movies. You can't drink coffee or tea. You can't drink. You can't smoke. You can't go on a bender, which I guess is You're not, not supposed that to crazy watch porn also. Yeah. Not um, supposed to watch porn. Not somebody supposed to was saying yourself. that if you watch porn, you have to go tell a bishop or whatever and yes. then there's like a lot of public humiliation that happens afterwards. So they that's probably, exactly what it what is. They like announce it at the front of the church. Like, Hey, we saw Des on her phone watching some porn. Like, do they announce <laughs> it like to the whole church or what? Not necessarily, but people can tell. I'm just going to, I'll tell you a little story of mine, which is when I was 14, I was a 14 year old boy. So of course yeah. you can imagine what happens when I'm alone, what did happen. And let's just say I cross that line and I had to communicate to my bishop because my mother was suspicious. You know, I had to like tell him like, yes, I have indulged in masturbation. Okay. And because of that, yeah, they forbid you from participating in like certain courses and participating in doing sacrament and things like that, that like everybody can tell, especially like my body touched itself. Yeah. And like, especially with the fact that when you're 14 or when you're 12, that's another part of their cult like thing is they believe in these powers that they give the youth or they give it's specifically men. They don't give it to women, but it's, it's the priesthood. Um, and so, you know, they'll endow you with the powers of the priesthood. And then after that, you can participate in doing sacrament for everybody. And that's like one way in which I, I was kind of forbidden for like three months from participating and doing that at all, because I was a, a guilty sinner. I think the other part too, forget where I was going with that. But. I so, think you were talking about the, the punishment of masturbation. Yeah. They, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it is that they do very much have some measures in place to have it be a public humiliation type thing without the Bishop, like actually getting up there and being like, Miguel did this, fuck him. You know, it's, it's a little bit different, but it's very, megaphone. Hey everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, before we go on, I just wanted to read the definition of a cult really quick. I, I guess I'd never looked up the definition before, but to me, when I think of cult, I think of a group that has this charismatic leader and you have to do certain things and there's certain things that you can't do. And then you have, it's kind of like what you've already mentioned. Like you are like a social pride, like you're alienated from your community completely. If, if uh, you do these things that are wrong or sometimes even worse, um, sometimes they'll even threaten to do physical harm to you and your family. From what I understand, like the very hardcore. Cult. Yeah. But um, when I'm reading the, the um, Oxford definition, it says a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure object, a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. Uh, that's another similar definition. And then there's another one that says a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing, a cult of personality surrounding the leaders as is an example. So, yeah, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, you, could you know, the, the only thing that I would I would say that the Mormon church might not fully fit the definition is it's a lot bigger than a small group of people, even though it started out with six people. Uh, but now it's like 60 million worldwide. They've got a bunch of temples everywhere. However, uh, no, I, I would say they definitely fit the definition from the first part of of the veneration and adoration of a charismatic leader that that is their prophets it's who they listen to at all um to the point that like basic science basic reason if your leader says this like you have to believe it um i think specifically 
there's a quote that I remember when I was, I was questioning the Mormon church and I expressed that to my parents. They, they gave me some like reading to do. And they're like, there's this quote that I, that is really important, Miguel. It's a, uh, it's this man named Dieter F. Uchtdorf. He's a member of the quorum of the 12 apostles, one of their higher ups currently. Uh, and he says, doubt your doubt before you doubt your faith, which I'll be honest. When I was at that age, I was like, Oh my God, that's so deep. Like, wow. Now this is something I'm realizing belongs on like R slash I'm 14. And this is deep. Cause that's <laughs> sounds very cultish to me. It, it's very cultish. Don't, it's like don't literally question don't question us. shit. Don't question shit. You have to, you have to pray to God and try to like figure it out, which I mean, that's maybe the Mormon church isn't you. I mean, the Mormon church is not necessarily unique with that aspect, but it does enforce it a lot more than other churches like Catholicism, you know, per se, like they, it's a little less strict than that, you know, unless you're like an Irish Catholic and then it gets intense. But so I would say that it does fit the definition of cult, uh, you know, and, there's other things that like they do certain rituals that I would describe as cultish, even if like baptisms for the dead. I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, I don't really know much about Mormonism other than yeah, what's out, outwardly seen. I have some family members who are Mormons, but they don't really talk about it too much. My ex's sister's husband was a Mormon. His family grew up Mormon. They weren't as accepting of, of her um, in the community because she was new. So they ended up moving and she doesn't really practice Mormonism anymore. But yeah, all I really know about Mormonism is the basics. So, yeah, um, sure. yeah, yeah. no, I actually kind of want to follow what you're saying uh, and, and ask more specifically. So one thing about cults uh, like Scientology, the institution of Jehovah's Witnesses, um, is that all across the board, they have uh, somehow successfully kept uniformity in practices and beliefs. Specifically, I know like the Jehovah's Witnesses Institution, they have uh, headquarters in New York and each and every single religious meeting around the world connected to the Jehovah's Witness Institution is exactly the same every day for everybody. Same verses, same teaching for everybody all around the world. And that's, you know, part, I think, of, of our very successful cults is being able to maintain that uniformity. Do you see that in Mormonism? Yes, um, kind of. You know, there are certain things that when you go to church every Sunday, you do have to, like, meet certain, you have to do certain things in order to have your religious meeting in the first place. As part of the congregation, you know, um, like the sacrament is a ritual that you have to say the exact same prayer every single week over the bread and water to bless it. You know, that's something I participated in. So I would say that in and of itself kind of fits that definition. Um, the meetings, however, they change because it's people running it, you know, so they'll just come and you might have a speech from somebody on some other topic and blah, 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 but they have a very, like, very strict schedule as to how they do this, you know, and you have to have like the sacrament first and then you can start having your talks and then. So, yeah, they do have those rituals. I think the other part, you know, what's, what's more cult-like is what they do in the temples. Because, you know, for those that don't know, Mormons have built a bunch of temples is what they call them. They're like big white, I don't know, uh, cathedrals type, you know, gothic type architecture. Yeah, some of them. Yeah, Pointy. they are pretty buildings, I will say. But what happens inside of them is, is very cult-like behavior. Uh, I remember when I was you know, in my teen years, along with having the priesthood, I was expected to participate in baptisms for the dead. And then at one point I started administering the actual baptisms. 
And what that looks like is like you. Please don't tell me that it's dunking dead people in water. No, no. Yeah. Luckily nobody, nobody's actually dead, but what happens is like, let's say I'm the one doing the baptism. I take you and we get into the water. And then I say like, I'm baptizing you on behalf of this dead person. And then I dunk, dunk you. And then cool. Like you're, you're all set, but that's like one of the weird things they do. But what um, is think, that? What do they think that does? Do they think that? Well, they, it they think that, that gives you spirit or something. Yeah. It's like, it, it is very much that what they believe is when you are baptized, all your sins wash away and you get to start from a clean slate, but you can only do that once in your life and you're supposed to do it at eight years old. However, when you're a convert, you can do it then. I kind of wish I were a convert so I could get all my sins washed away, but uh, no, it's that part. That part was very cult like, well, particularly because you're not supposed to talk about it. Like I'm probably going to go to hell if, if the Mormon God is real over telling you guys about what we do in the temple in the first place. You were not supposed to talk about these things. You're not supposed to talk about the rituals, things like that. Um, I only ever made it through that part of the temple. There are multiple parts of the temple where they, you know, you get married inside temples. That's the only place that you can get like a celestial marriage. And what they, what they do is when you turn 19 or when you're about ready to go on your Mormon mission, about to spend, you know, two years going overseas, teaching people about your church. Um, what they do is they do an endowment, which is where they, they bless you with a bunch of weird symbols and they give you the magic underwear. I'm and scared. you're supposed to, and you're supposed to wear those garments, the magic underwear for oh my gosh, I'm so scared. everything, everything. Like you would, yeah. I, I think you're supposed to fucking them. I don't know. Something like that. You know, you just have to wear them constantly. But you, uh, and they have like weird symbols. Pair? Uh, no, no, you can buy multiple pairs. You oh, okay. know, I was you like, have you a have bunch of do... pairs. <laughs> that would be pretty gross. Yeah. That would be the most cold. Wash I think. them every day. <laughs> like, no, okay. uh, yeah, like they they do have to wear them, and you can obviously switch them out for clean ones. But it's so interesting because I I remember you know like I grew up with uh, six kids total in the family, so we do my mother would do everybody's laundry and then we'd all take turns folding it but i remember every time that i did the laundry and her shit was in there like i was forbidden from touching it i was forbidden from asking questions about what the symbols meant because i was curious about like you know what's this they wouldn't tell me you know so yeah they're very secretive inside the temples and it's it's a little bit concerning yeah it's sounds like something out of a horror movie yeah so i kind of wanted to segue that because uh, that question about the uniformity across, you know, Mormonism, and, and you're talking about, you know, all these rituals. One thing that's kind of unique to me uh, in my experience learning different religions is, for example, specifically in the Jewish, uh, Judaism is complicated. You know, it's as much an ethnicity as it is a religion, but the religious part of Judaism uh, is kind of like really diverse, right? There are synagogues, but then there are like you know, what's called like progressive synagogues where they've developed beyond orthodox beliefs and they like accept, you know, gay marriage. Uh, they carry about like they have like, for example, lesbian rabbis, etc. Right. So, you know, and, and in the Christian religion, uh, you see something similar, right? You see that in certain churches, they're incredibly conservative and really racist and transphobic and homophobic. And then you find other religions that are led by more, you know, flexible or progressive uh, leaders. And so there's a lot more acceptance. And I think that is mainly because Christianity and some of the other religions are not so 
uh, institutionalized, for example, like Jehovah's Witnesses, where like just across the board, everybody's reading the same thing every day. Do you find that there's any progressive or slightly different or maybe even like different Mormon practices that people disagree on? Or is it like, you know, is everybody just across the board pretty much homophobic? Everybody across the board is pretty much homophobic. That's like, mm. yeah, unlike... That makes it a little bit more cult-like, right? That it, yeah, everything is. absolutely. Yeah, I think specifically the point you bring up, because, you know, there are, you, like, if you're a Baptist, you can find a Baptist church that is not transphobic. You know, you can find one that's all about love and accepting, things like that. You can't find that in the Mormon church because the Mormon church only has two, two sects of the Mormon church. Well, unlike Christianity, where you can shop around and you can find what church is, you know, more fits into your mm-hmm. beliefs, the Mormon church, all of their locations and all of their churches have the exact same messaging, the exact same beliefs. Like they, because they believe in, in it being from a living man dictating everything they believe, you know, the prophet, like the, the guy, I think the current one is Russell M. Nelson. Don't okay, call So, so there's always only one leader. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's a bit okay. fascist in the way that it's like built. It's very hierarchical. You know, you got that one, one person dictating everything. And how do they choose that person? It's just like destiny, like the current uh, leader picks their predecessor kind of a thing? No, no. uh, And in fact, like you serve until you die as the prophet. So I'm sure you have to have like a backup because you you never know when you're going to die. So you always. They might. It might be something like that. What it usually is, is whoever is the leader or the oldest serving person on the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, which is right below the prophet. Like that's the 12 people, that person will probably, will usually take over. Usually, you know, sometimes they'll have like a vision that somebody else needs to take over from the quorum, but it's only those people. So yeah, yeah. God chooses the old white dude to be in charge. And And it's always been, it has always been an old white man. In fact, it was only like three or four years ago that they finally put one person of color on the quorum of the 12 apostles. It was because people were like criticizing because it was all old white men from Utah. This is is a challenge. I think I'm going to move to Utah and become first. (laughs) You know, Salt Lake City is actually lovely. Uh, Queer queer brown woman. Here I come. Yeah, yeah, Salt Lake City is not bad, even though it's funny because it's the capital of the Mormon church, but most of the people that live there are not Mormons. Like in terms of Salt Lake City, once you start to get outside, like everybody's Mormon, you know. But yeah, that's just, it's kind of like the liberal stronghold against a red state. Um, but to answer your question, it, it is, it's Hiram, right? Yes. Yes, yeah, I want to make sure. You, could, you, uh, call me, you call me whatever you want, honestly. All right, Mr. Garcia. I'm Suave Sobido. Suave Sobero, yes. <laughs> to answer your question, what, what I was trying to say is, unlike other Christian churches where you can go to another one and find, that doesn't happen. Um, the only split that they have is that there is a cult of the cult called the Fundamentalist Mormon Church. And those people specifically... They have the same beliefs. Their only difference is that they believe, well, I mean, they have actually, let me correct that. They have two big belief shifts, which is number one, when the Mormon church officially banned polygamy, because it did start out as a polygamous organization, you know, men were allowed to take as many wives as they wanted. Uh, When that officially got banned, the leader at the time, Ezra Snow, tried to claim that it was due to the fact that he just got a vision from God and that's it. But honestly, the only reason that that happened, we're trying to file 
to become a territory through the United States. And the United States told them, if you guys are going to continue practicing your polygamy, we will not allow you in. So they gave it up. You know, the Mormon church specifically started out as polygamous, like all it wasn't all the men. But if you were a man and you were chosen by the prophet, you were allowed to have as many wives as you wanted in order to propagate the, you know, the Mormon church and expand, expand the following and stuff like that. However, yeah, it was around, I want to say 1860, maybe 1870. But after a little bit of time of them having founded Utah, um, they, they decided they wanted to become a, a territory and they wanted to become a state in the end. And the federal government told them, we are not going to allow you to become a territory if you do not give up your polygamy. That's it. Once you do that, you're fine. So, yeah, the, the prophet at the time, Ezra Snow, decided that he had a vision where all of a sudden, yeah, we're not doing polygamy anymore. And that was a big split because there was a portion of, of the Mormon church in South Utah that refused to give it up and have not given it up since then. They live in Colorado City, Utah, and they, uh, yeah, they practice polygamy to so this day illegal, they all they still practice it like absolutely it? yeah okay. it's very illegal and it's it's still practiced somehow um but what's really disturbing and what i i tried to wrestle with that when i was in the mormon church to like tell myself oh well they don't practice polygamy anymore and was it really that wrong but what happened was i, I don't personally i don't have an issue with polyamory or okay somebody if... choosing to get married to like seven people that's cool my issue is that and, and i think it was probably the same You're issue kind of the federal right? government had it's force yes absolutely and it often can involve 12 year old girls and that's where yeah that's where that's probably why the federal government gave a fuck at all because they were like that's not appropriate and so that's that's Forcing the thing children to marry you no. Well, the leader of the, the cult of the cult, the fundamentalist Mormons, Warren Jeffs, he's been in jail for a long time because of this exact same behavior where he was marrying young women and or young girls. And yeah, and that's what that's what got him. But Barf. unfortunately, they're still open somehow. So we've come a really long way, right? Because <laughs> uh, I, I, I remember, I think we started talking about... Uh, you know, how rich, white, old men, or not rich necessarily, but white old men are always at the top of the culture. They're all rich. I, I'll add that. <laughs> I, I believe it. Yeah, and, and there's a reason why that was kind of my intuition, right? <laughs> Wealth, uh, man. Anyway, so I point that out because I find that, like, in most cults, it, it, it is essential to have, you know, a very small leadership and a very not uniform leadership, uh, you know, because then... Uh, you have people, you know, like that are leaders all kind of pushing the same rules across the board. And if you just had more people with different ideas and you can't really have a cult because, you know, you start dissolving the passion for that one idea or that one person by diversifying the amount of ideas and people involved. And so I think that's very true for any organization. You, if you're joining an organization and there's only one person at the top. And then the person that maybe succeeds them or precedes, you know, them is the same you demographically and ideologically, then you're probably, you know, it's something like a cult because, uh, you know, usually things that are not cultage allow for a diversity of ideas and leadership. Uh, yeah, not things like pedophilia. So, <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, that's, that's exactly it. Cause that's, that's another big reason that it is a cult is that they listen to one leader and it's always a rich old white man. So yeah, they're it's, and they're always repeating the exact same thing. It's not like they've had, okay. So the, the recent prophet didn't make a tiny bit of a differentiation from the previous prophets for what he, what he claims, which is all he said was we don't need to hate gay people anymore still forbidden from being in the church, still forbidden from going to temples, still forbidden from taking the sacrament. Right. But it's kind of like, you know, like Pope Francis being a little more nice than usual. And that is the only change in policy that they really had. Cause it's not, yeah, yeah. they did have a, could never take a church seriously if they actually hate people. That seems like against what you're trying to do. Yeah. But they they don't hate people. (laughs) You ask anybody who's a Mormon, they don't hate them. They just, wish they weren't gay and will do everything to stop them from being gay. You know, like that's, which that's hate in my opinion, especially as somebody that grew up, you know, being queer and being bi specifically. Like I, I I wrestled with that and I was like, I know that. And I actually came out to a few of my friends before I officially came out when I was 17, you know, a couple of friends who were in the, yes. Yeah. A couple of my Mormon friends Uh, and they were, they were more accepting, but that doesn't, it doesn't really change the policy per se, you know, cause once, once it came out, then I wasn't allowed to participate. So. Um, so now that you're not a part of the Mormon church anymore, do you have a lot of family and friends that are still in the church is my first question. And two, uh, my second question is uh, if they found out that you were talking about this, would they come down on you in any way or mm. come after me in any way for putting this information out into the world? Cause it's supposed to be like, because it's supposed to be secret information, these rituals, right? Yeah. I, I couldn't see them pitchforking me, but do you think that I'm just curious? If, That's a good question. So, I mean, I, I think they'll, they'll probably be upset with the fact that I'm talking with such negativity about the Mormon church, but I also don't, yeah, I don't communicate with most of my family anymore, partially because of their beliefs. And partially uh, it is actually a year ago today that I talked to that. Uh, I talked to my grandmother who talked to my mother and apparently and my grandmother is not a Mormon. Right. So she just, she called them and she's like, Hey, I'm watching this on national television. I'm watching them swarm a Capitol right now. Like, what do you think of that? And because of some of her beliefs, she justified it. She's like, oh, no, they're doing the right fucking thing. Like, it's about time with all the illegals that are voting is what she says. So, yeah, I don't I don't really communicate with my family. So they're really not going to come after you. Don't worry about that. I'm not Um, worried about it. I'm just wondering, like, in general, if they find somebody who publicly speaking about people do this all the time is the thing it's like there's a culture and you can find like subreddits about it called xmo xmormon stuff like that uh Um, yes i've been there (laughs) yeah yeah so i mean people talk about those things on there because they want people to know they want people to know like you really shouldn't be part of the mormon church Mm -hmm. uh i still you know i still have a couple siblings that i talk to who are still involved but i don't know fortunately you know things have changed in the last year i think for a lot of people and really with the Black Lives Matter movement, there's been a lot more conversations that are being had about like what this is about. I've been able to express the fact that I am my most, the thing that I have the most problem with the Mormon church is their racist revisionist history of 
my people, you know, the indigenous people that own this continent before they have a very false story that they came up with. And that's been my issue. And it's been because of these, these conversations we're having about race, about history, about all these things where I'm able to express that. So, yeah. Miguel, um, you are a staunch anti-fascist activist. You have your podcasts and you put yourself out there, right? And you know, a lot of doing that involves having an understanding of your audience and the problem at hand. And a lot of that comes from our personal experiences. Uh, and I think you know where I'm going here. How do you think your experience in Mormonism has influenced your activism? How do you understand these racist tropes, you know, maybe differently than somebody who wasn't personally involved for some time? You know, um, yeah, no, definitely leaving the Mormon church has been a huge part of why I'm such an anti-fascist today. Uh, From the beliefs that I grew up with, from some of the things that I was taught, I think specifically that, you know, my family started to believe in QAnon shit before QAnon actually came out. You know, it was like concepts of Hillary Clinton eats babies, stuff like that, before QAnon actually became the cult that it did, you know. So, yeah, that's that is a huge part of why I dedicate myself to taking on the far right, to calling out the far right, because I grew up as somebody who was far right, you know, and to me, like I it is because of the family that I have that has some of those views. It is because of what I grew up with and the people that I was around in Utah that like shared some of these beliefs that I am able to recognize their talking points to to learn how to speak to them on certain certain things that are like specifically the problem, you know. So, like, just how does did your experience or how does your experience inform the way that you uh, react or feel about your family members having, you know, these QAnon beliefs, racist ideas? Um, You know, a lot of people get angry. uh, A lot of people are more patient. Uh, What's your approach? Well, you know, it it depends on who I'm talking about. If I talk about my parents, I'm pretty upset with them, you know, because I think that they are smarter than that. And I think that, but at the same time, you know, I've been, uh, I, I don't know if you guys follow this subreddit at all. It's like QAnon casualties. I, w- I would totally look it up because it's just literally about people that have lost their family to a cult, you know, to the cult. And they're like expressing, and I guess I kind of, I've been reading that a lot. I guess like my, I have a little bit of a problem with the quote Exmo culture, uh, the ex-Mormons, you know, like there, there's a lot of people that make that their identity, make it about being angry at the Mormon church where I'm somebody that like, I can acknowledge I grew up that way and use it to my advantage, but I'm not going to spend like every fucking day just trashing the Mormon church per se, yeah. you know, like it, yeah, it's a church. Say, like, it's it's to, just as, yeah. Yeah. I mean, to grow from any experience that we see as negative we have to not only forgive ourselves for being in that place but also um you know we can't just hold that anger toward these people because how are you going to move on and you know be happy with your life and that's i mean that's where i'm at i'm just grateful i am grateful for the experience i had even though i hated it (laughs) at the very least i wouldn't be the person i am today without that experience i think about that with a lot of things you know i had a pretty shitty upbringing in mexico i grew up in the slums so for me it's the same idea like sure it was shitty but it taught me to be a stronger person it taught me to be able to recognize like when people are on some cultish like behaviors 
but at the same time, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that angry. You know, um, I still love my, uh, two of my siblings are my biological siblings. I got adopted with me and which is great, but they're kind they're Mormon, you know, and I still love them. I, I just, uh, <laughs> I just want to like, as their older brother, I want to be like, look, there's so much that you're missing out on. Like, you can't drink in the Mormon church. I like to drink. It's a really great part of not being Mormon anymore. Or tattoos. You can't get tattoos at all. I yeah, like I, tattoos. I personally don't drink myself, but I think just having that freedom to just do whatever you want and to yeah. not have shame for the things that you want to do. You know, I get Ooh. trying to be your best, but I, I mean, are people in the Mormon church, have you met people who are actually happy in um, their, that lifestyle? I mean, yeah, but I, honestly, I view it as like, I don't want to say it this way because it seems disrespectful, but I view it as kind of like, kind of like brainwashing. You know, I think specifically about the fact that like in the Mormon church, you are not allowed to have sex until marriage, right? So and in I have a, a lot of churches, right? I mean, that's kind of just a common belief, but they're very strict about it where you have to be married to a Mormon in the Mormon temple in order to then be able to have fun, if you will. Mm-hmm. I worry, <laughs> I worry about several of my friends that I grew up with in high school or middle school, because <laughs> I'm seeing the fact that they are getting married, like at the age of 18 ASAP, you know, yeah. like once they get back from their mission, they find somebody two months, they're married. And to me, I'm like, you're just doing that. So you, you can get laid. And that's not a great reason to get married in my opinion, you know, like find somebody you like, get to know them first, just my, just my opinion, because I, I agree with that. I, I just, I have seen multiple marriages through the Mormon church that like, I can tell they're both unhappy, but the Mormon church has a very, very harsh point against divorce. They do allow divorce, but you will be ostracized if you get divorced, you know? So well, there's a lot of people that I can tell, like you, you're not happy, but you're doing this for the sake of your God. And that's, that's not everything, you know? Um, I have another question. Um, so if I decided that I wanted to be Mormon and I, you know, quit doing all the things that they wanted me to stop doing, would they be ready, ready to accept me or how, what does that look like for new Mormons? You know, do I have to know somebody or, um, I mean, that's why they have missionaries, right? They have those young men who walk around in you know, suits and just knock on people's doors women are allowed to do it now as well. So they're pretty like readily accepting of new newcomers. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say the Mormon church definitely welcomes converts. You know, they, they appreciate the fact that somebody is converting. However, there was an experience I had when I was a teenager that uh, my mother had made this friend named Mike and Mike and I got along because he was an anarchist and like, I was a socialist. So he would, we would constantly talk about all these fucking ideas. And, and I thought I'd made a friend. But unfortunately, with the way that Mormon culture is, is that usually when they're when they're friends to you and when they're friendly towards you, it's for the sake of getting you to convert, you know, and and once you convert, sure, you'll still be friends. But if you ever stray from that path, like Mike did and decide that he wanted to go his own way, you're not friends anymore. So the Mormon church, like, sure, it's accepting to the point that it's not to, to the point that it's just about like getting you to be fully following everything they're saying. Yeah, so they're not too particular for who they oh. originally want to get in. They're just like, hey, everybody, come join us to stay in the community. They're, they're pretty strict about that, about what you can and cannot do. I see. Miguel, 
Well, can you tell us about missionary training? How effective are they at training people at confronting questions about, you know, different religious beliefs, et cetera? Because my experience in the Jehovah's Witnesses institution is that they are really fucking smart and they literally teach all their, you know, missionaries, people going door to door, uh, how to answer questions, you know, mannerisms, um, just things that I taught myself and I learned thinking, damn, this is like some manipulative shit, you know, like kind of how they teach. Because like, for example, when you're becoming the U.S. president, they teach you how to do handshakes, how to stand, you know, how to like project yourself as a leader overall. And and so these trainings are very conscious of people's faults, flaws, you know, uh, of, of where people may trip up or where key points come up where you might be able to convert somebody, right? Is the training that extent, like extensive? Yes. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so what happens is uh, it's usually it, it, the cha- the age recently changed in like the last four years to where you, you're an 18 year old, you're a guy, you have to wait another year if you're a woman, but if you're a guy, you get to go straight on your mission, right? And with that, they'll send you to a missionary training center for a number of weeks where that is literally all you do. You are you are just in the training center. That's all you're allowed to do. And you just literally, yeah, you learn about all the talking points. You learn like how to be able to communicate with people. I would say what's really concerning is how fucking good they are at it. Because, you know, Jeez, like, bro. like out of it. nowhere, you know, you'll be an 18 year old and you'll get, you'll get your mission papers and be like, holy shit, I'm going to South Africa. I have to learn Afrikaans now or, or Sosa or whatever, you know? And like they teach you within a couple weeks to be able to speak that language pretty fucking proficiently. Like a boot that's, camp. That's like the one, the one shitty boot camp. thing. It, that's what it is. Is it's Mormon boot camp, and that is like the one part of why I would feel bad at all for having not gone on a mission. Is that it'd be cool to know another language? Really, I would have liked to go back to my country and relearn my language. Uh, if it's anything like my experience in the Jehovah's Witnesses institution, I never was a Jehovah's Witness, but my dad was, and I, I was always going. And you know, is that like it's so well put together? I mean, these are things that I'm pretty sure you'd be learning like as a professional in like public relations or, you know, public speaking, they're skills that are very well put together uh, and very effective, you know, like a lot of charisma. I mean, you're probably learning the culture. You're probably learning the other religions, you know, where people might be like, well, my God says this and they train you. Well, they train you to to respond to the beliefs of other people. And I I don't know, it's just a, it's incredible i mean it's so uh like you said you learn a lot like it's it's not just useful in the mormon religion it's useful because you're learning how to exploit you know human anyway yeah Yeah, people (laughs) manipulation tactics in there very cultish that part of it yes very genius Um, oh yeah you gotta respect it (laughs) honestly like you have to (laughs) i mean i have to respect the mormon church it is one of the best like brainwashing organizations that has existed in my life in our lifetimes you know it's like i mean because people who are part of the mormon church are fully part of it like that's and it gets kind of sad i think specifically growing up in utah there was just so many people that being mormon was their personality you know and i'm like there's just there's just so much more to life than just being hyper religious like congratulations yeah i think god would want you to enjoy the fruits of life as well you know if you believe that there's a god no. Um, so this is kind of a different topic, 
But um, I went to a Jehovah's Witness church a couple times with a friend. She was really trying to convert me. And it was a little frightening because I kind of got cornered and pressured to come back. Well, I'm a Taurus. Like, if you try to pressure me to do something and put me in a corner, I'm just going to run and <laughs> never come back. Hello, Taurus. Yeah. Um, but I was just interested in learning. I was like, what is this? She seems, this is, you know, encompassing her life. So I sat in a few times and they were saying that there, there's just this like cartoon book that they give you to look at. And what put me off is that nobody can go to heaven unless you're like a priest or someone high up in, in the, in the yes. church. Why would you be a part of that church if you're not going to go to heaven? Like, why devote your whole life to something if you're not going to go to heaven? I guess I, I forget know. about that. Yeah, yeah the Jehovah's Witnesses believe there's like, only like a certain number reason, of seats, right? Yeah, <laughs> but the reason in saying this is because I was going to ask, what does it take to go to heaven for Mormons? Is it like everybody gets to go if you're following the rules or? You know, the one thing I like about the Mormon church is they do have a little bit more nuance of a take to the afterlife that like is a little more compassionate than one would expect from their church, which is that they believe that like once you die, you'll basically be given three options for what world you live in. You know, you can well, um, what they believe is if you die without having known the Mormon church, you go to pur a purgatory type thing. It's like a, or a jail in heaven where you basically learn about the Mormon church and then you're given the option to either accept it or not accept it. Hashtag heaven jail. Yes. Yeah. Heaven jail. Heaven's gate in jail. Yeah. So they, they believe that like, you know, you'll be given that option. And if you deny the option, you're going to go to the lowest of the three worlds that they believe you're going to get. And also like it, it, it's so complex what they believe in. They believe in the celestial kingdom being like the most holy, but uh, the place where all the most holy people go, they believe in the terrestrial kingdom, which is a good place, but it's for people that like didn't really accept the Mormon church. And, but they're still, they were still very good people in their life, you know? So they believe in that. And then the third world they believe in is the celestial kingdom, which they believe is kind of like hell, but it's where all the people that were Mormon that denied the Mormon church, it's where I'm going, you know? Um, and then they believe in outer darkness, but that's only for like Hitler and certain people, you know, it's not like, so where do I go? Really bad people. Uh, well, you know, if you were to continue living float your life, around and you just are, disappear? you'll probably go to like heaven jail for a little bit. And then you'll probably be like, oh, this is weird. And you'll go to the middle kingdom because yeah, you gotta, it's just being a good person. Like, so that's, that's a little bit better. However, they also have this view that um, you have to follow all the rituals of the Mormon church. You have to get married in a temple. You cannot go to heaven if you uh, or go to the highest kingdom. If you are not married, it's another weird thing, but yeah, you, you have get to get married in heaven jail. I don't know. That's that's a good question. Okay, yeah. Heaven jail boo. Look you have me. to get yeah, you have to go to the temple, you have to get your endowments, things like that. Once you pass all that and you die, you go straight to that kingdom. But what they believe is like once once God returns to earth, because they do believe God is coming again, you know, this time with a sword to split the nations into Armageddon, basically. They do believe in Armageddon. And they believe once that happens, everybody who's up in that higher up kingdom is going to get their own planet and going to become their own God. Rad. Isn't that weird? Isn't that some Rad. weird shit? <laughs> yeah. They genuinely believe like everybody's going to just start creating their own universes and then we'll all be God, you know? So. Yeah, for those of you who are tuning in, I'm going to go to Utah and become the leader of the Mormons. The first ever woman, the first, first ever brown woman. person, and first ever queer it. person. 
So here so, I go. <laughs> yeah. Um, Carissa, you mentioned something that piqued my interest. You were talking about how the Jehovah's Witnesses institution doesn't have heaven. So you're like, well, why would anyone want to believe in God? Well, they do believe in heaven, but it's not like heaven. It's called paradise. Um, and it's supposed to be like, a, you know, earth cre- God created earth to be paradise for humans. And then humans fucked it up. And then it became like this terrible place ruled by the devil. And then God's going to come and then remove the devil and then allow humans to live on earth again and repopulate and then get rid of everything bad like illnesses and aging. And you don't go to heaven, you stay on earth and it's going to be supposedly this earth, but it's like a paradise version of earth where everything's good. You know, you could make out with the lion and it won't bite you. But yes. what piqued my interest what? about what you said. Is that a thing? Wait, hang uh, on. Wait, what'd you uh, say? That like you could kiss a lion and nothing would happen. It's because like they always have little Is that what they say? Of people hanging out with lions because oh, okay. I don't know, that's like supposed to be paradise, like you being able to hang out with the lion, you know, and, oh, yeah. and not biting your face off. So I mentioned that because, you know, we said earlier that a very important facet or tenant of a successful cult is being able to create leadership that's really exclusive. And so I think that this idea that only certain top high profile leaders get the ultimate prize even further propagates this idea that there's only a select amount of people that are allowed to make the rules, which makes it even easier to continue uh, having these cults, right? I, I, I think that, um, yeah, that, that separation of like me versus an elite leader just rehashes that, you know, uh, structure that's needed to maintain cults as they are, right? And to maintain them from collapsing, from having too many people with too many different ideas at once. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like that would be part of the reason why, you know, you would want to separate the elite leaders from, you know, us peasants. I did have a couple questions from the chat. Somebody asked about soaking. Oh my God. Uh, (laughs) And then somebody said, so here's two things that we can talk about really quick. Someone said, my Mormon mom believes that dinosaurs came from another god's earth, recycled bits, and that's why they're older than the earth that is obviously only 6,000 years old. Okay. So to the, I'm going to answer the second question first. (laughs) To the second question, you know, when I was growing up, my parents taught me that all the bones that are left over, you know, and in the fossil index, that's all just put there by God to make us like, question whether or not the earth is 6,000 years old. So pretty similar idea. You know, that's, I hear that a lot. Um, I do remember growing up, I did have like a lot of debates with people because not everybody who's a Mormon believes the earth is 6,000 years old. That's actually not a full belief of theirs, but most people that are Mormon do, you know, most people, it's partially because they don't really understand history and science. If they genuinely believe that the people that founded this continent came from Israel 600 years before the death of Christ. Right. So yeah, similar idea, but yeah, no, that's uh, I remember, yeah, I would always have debates with people and like 99% of the Mormons were like, yeah, no, it's 6,000 years old. I'm like, it really isn't. It's, um, it really is. Yeah. So yeah. Can you summarize how they think um, earth was created? Do they think that there's a big bang or it's probably a long story, but can you, but that's a, you know, the Mormons, like they, they have a pretty similar view to the Bible, which is that they just believe like 6,000 years. And it was like 4,000 years. That is before the birth of Christ. They believe that like 
their whole story is that God created the universe in seven days, right? And like, you know, put man on earth and then created Adam and Eve and then took one part of Adam's rib cage and created a woman. And that's the reason that men have one for the most part, usually have a rib cage missing. That's the whole, you know, creation story. So yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. Like they, they just believe in the fact that it was seven days and then all of a sudden we're here and then all the shit happened in the Bible. So um, they uh, recycled Christianity and added their own prophets kind of a thing. Ex- that's exactly what it is. Yeah. They recycled Christianity. They changed it to like, make it more about America and then just created their own prophets. So exactly. Okay. So As to the other they, um, Mormons mm-hmm. normally carry the Christian Bible as well as the Mormon Bible is what somebody mentioned. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They, they use the book of Mormon. They use, they also believe in like three, two other books alongside the book of Mormon that they have written or were written by Joseph Smith that are, are like the Bible to them. So they've got like four books that they use. Um, it's Doctrine and Covenants is the other one, which was written by Joseph Smith and other apostles. And then um, they believe in the Pearl of Great Price, which they believe is basically, this is a whole little side story, but back in like the 1830s, after uh, Joseph Smith had already founded the church, he met a friend of his who was an archaeologist. And apparently this archaeologist found the Dead Sea Scrolls. I'm sure you've heard of them. They're found in an ancient cave and they supposedly have the writings of, of ancient prophets. Um, but they specifically believe here's the thing is that you talk to anybody that can actually read like old Aramaic and old, you know, symbols that they were using. That book does not say what Joseph Smith claims it does like at all. It's, he just created his own little book about Moses basically. So yeah, there's, there's that, but that's, this, that's kind of the thing. This conversation is just reminding me about South Park, <laughs> the Mormon episode. Yeah. I have to watch it again. Yeah. I mean, they also wrote the Book of Mormon because the founders were, uh, of South Park were ex-Mormons as well. So, <laughs> but yeah, uh, to the other question, soaking, I actually did not know about this until about a week ago when I was talking with one of my friends who, who knew about like, you know, me growing up Mormon and she was telling me about it. This is wild. So for those that don't know, there is a current little TikTok trend going around, going around among like BYU students, Brigham Young University and other like Mormon churches and Mormon schools. Uh, They believe that the way that you don't violate the law against fornication before marriage is that it's, it's pretty, it's pretty weird. Uh You basically have sex without moving. Yeah, here you go. Yeah. You, okay. <laughs> penetration. But Pen- it's just penetration. You you can just penetrate, but you're not really allowed but to. But if you have a friend it. who jumps on the bed next to you, it's not your fault. Exactly. It's not your fault. That can that can bounce. <laughs> so, and I just want to say, as somebody that grew I up actually, that yeah. is at all, <laughs> like, that, that's not a way to avoid breaking that law. <laughs> you're just breaking the law. <laughs> congrats. Also, congrats on getting laid. But, yeah, that's cool. Penetration. I always, sex. I always support okay. that. <laughs> I mean, there's even sex without penetration, folks. So yeah, that is oh, not man. true. <laughs> I did see the meme for it, like maybe a couple months ago, and I was, yeah. it had me rolling. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, 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 that's wild. Uh, oh man, I don't. Are we ending on that note? <laughs> I think that's a good way to I can tell that end. that made you feel very uncomfortable, Hiram. Does no, anybody... it did it. I just, I was like, wow, just. Uh, this is not a very kid-friendly no, episode. I just, uh, I'm just uh, baffled by the creativity of humans. You know, like, 
we uh, we find ways, you know, like, well, technically, the Bible said intercourse is like in and out. And if you just go in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially when it comes what to happens sex, religious people to... can be very, very creative. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say, Miguel? I was just going to say, like, you you have to get it out. So how is that not intercourse in the end? You know, like, yeah, no, I mean, true. You can't just become, forever. We all become really good silly. prosecutors, mini lawyers when we are trying to circumvent these ridiculous. <laughs> uh, you know, like, I, that's how that's how lawyers. That's what lawyers do, like straight up, like they're they're like professionals at like finding a way to define what you did as something else so that your sentence isn't as harsh. Everybody's finding loopholes these days. I'm just glad Mormons are doing it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe, hey, maybe uh, if they had no TV, but hey, let's. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what happens to you if you have sex? Do you go tell your bishop? Do you yeah. get, do uh, they release bishop. you from, from the church? Well, I mean, like, is... it depends, right? Obviously, it depends on your bishop, too. Your bishop will give you some advice. He'll be like, look, just don't take the sacrament for like three months. Oh, man. Apologize now you have to marry that person. Okay, so. I just keep laughing because uh, how much do you actually have? I mean, like, because, you know, there's having sex, but everybody has sex differently, right? Like, sex is a very general term. I mean, there's all kinds of interests in, you know, are, are there harsher punishments if you're, like, into a little more untraditional forms of sex? Uh, no, I mean, not necessarily. It's just generally, ask- like, sex in general. Okay. Even, even like, they, they actually have rules i remember reading a book from one of from the mormons as a kid they have rules against necking and petting you know like that 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 type of sexual type behavior that's not exactly sex you know and they they even have rules against that so it's any type of intimacy is pretty much forbidden in the mormon church until you get married but it does depend on the bishop and the church though you were saying and somebody uh, said that they just dry humped like a good mormon and it got me thinking like I grew up Christian. I grew up Christian not because my parents, you know, forced me or made me go to church or anything like that, but because I I went on my own. I decided that that I wanted to go. Uh and I don't go to church anymore because there was always a deal breaker for me. I actually found some a really cool group and a good like four square church and the pastor said that women are not allowed to be leaders in the group. I was like, see you later. <laughs> uh I- but anyway, so but yeah, so growing up, I thought that I needed to get married before I had sex, and I tried that for a long time, but it didn't work. But yeah, so the dry humping thing, like we thought it was okay. We're like, we're making out, we're doing, we're dry humping. We're not actually having, we're not, there's no penetration involved, so it's okay, you know, like, but still, I mean. It sounds like you were just ridiculous. breaking the rules. Yeah, it's yeah. not ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> there's no good so loopholes. We- <laughs> We didn't finish on soaking, but I, I, I do have, I think, one question that is, is a good way to kind of wrap everything up nicely. Miguel, do you expect that there will be any significant ideological evolutions within the Mormon church? Or do you believe that the Mormon church will remain the same until the day that it dies? You know, I've been, I've been keeping track because the one thing I am curious about is that I feel like they might become accepting of gay people at some point. However, don't quote me on that. And I honestly don't have that much faith to that. It's just in terms of like the recent talking points that some of the leaders have had around like accepting your LGBTQ family. I think that things might shift, but that's pretty much the only shift. And I honestly don't see that happening because 
yeah, I think it'll be about the same till the day it dies. And particularly because they've gone on so long as a church that is just beyond misogynistic, like women cannot hold any type of spiritual power. So, you know, to me, that's kind of like, it's kind of a sign of where they're going to remain for a while. We're living in 2022 and you still don't allow women to have the priesthood. That's pretty weird. So, but yeah. Pretty cultish to me. Um, Yeah, definitely. So to my understanding, Mormons, a lot of Mormons showed up for the Black Lives Matter protests, as well as some uh, LGBTQ marches, but um, maybe they're not hardcore Mormons or... Well, I mean, there there is a small sect of... It's not a sect necessarily, but there is a portion of Mormons. And particularly if you're like living in Salt Lake City, you'll probably find Mormons that are more accepting... But that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't really speak to most of the Mormon church. Most of the Mormon church is defined by the rural communities in Utah, you know, that the people that are like upholding that church. Um, But what I will say is, you know, what was interesting when Donald Trump got elected, like it was like 94% of Utahns voted against Donald Trump in the primaries because they, because he does not stand for their values. That is the one thing I'll give them is they're very, very moral people the point that it gets a little fucking annoying. However, they were even able to be like, hey, Donald Trump is not a good Christian man. He's a cheater and a terrible person. So we're not going to vote for him. Now, of course, he did win the city of Utah because they're going to go Republican no matter what. But it was pretty inspiring to see like how big of a gap there was there. So, you know, in terms of like the Black Lives Matter movement, yes, Salt Lake City had a pretty big fucking turnout for Black Lives in the beginning. But I don't know. I I don't know what to prescribe that to. I think it's just humanity, you know? Would you say uh, this is a broken clock that's right at least twice a day? Yeah, that's that's a good metaphor for it, you know, because there are some things that like the Mormons being such kind people can lead people to make right decisions. Right. However, their policy is kind of not adding up to that is all, you know. Right. I think their purpose is probably I mean, I think there's some community in there um, as well. But I think, you know, a lot of those people are just trying to be good people and do the right thing. But yeah. of no. course, yeah. before we go, um, you mentioned that they because Hiram asked if you think that there'll be some evolution um, in the church. And you said that you think it'll be the same, like they'll have the same practices until the day that the church dies. Do you see an end to the Mormon church? Oh, no, no. I mean, it's continuing to expand. And I think that it's the same thing with a lot of like religious views. As Mark said, right, religion is the opium of the masses. And I think I think that's kind of what I prescribe it to is that we are seeing obviously the failures of capitalism. We're seeing climate change. We're seeing the world fucking falling apart. And I think a lot more people will turn to religion as a little bit of thinking that, oh, the end times are coming. I get a I got to find my God before. So, yeah, my, I personally don't see it dying until the earth dies. And because it, it, it does control the culture of Utah, like Utah right. would not be Utah without the Mormons. And that's, yeah. yeah. For those who are thinking about joining a church, my advice to you is to really look into the teachings of this church and also talk to a lot of people who are who support the church and people who don't support it before you make such a big decision to give your life to a type of religion because sometimes those religions are cults sometimes those churches are cults as we have realized today Miguel, i just want to keep talking but i i, I know that it's not a good idea because then we'll never finish um 
Oh, I think but, all three uh, of us could just keep talking for hours. Yeah, <laughs> no, I <laughs> just with religion, you know, it's so complicated. You know, it's kind of, uh, you know, where people find their sense of purpose, structure to their moral systems, um, you know, uh, where they find uh, a way to ascribe value to things that otherwise may seem meaningless. I mean, it's kind of an escape from the bitterness and ugliness of nihilism. And, you know, I, I, I don't think religion should be an escape from nihilism. I think it should be a way of enhancing your life, uh, you know, and, and, and just to echo what you're saying, Des, you know, if you're looking at religion for a desperate sense of purpose, or if you're looking at religion as an escape from maybe some nihilistic ideas or thoughts or feelings, um, you know, where you feel like everything's meaningless unless you have a God, then you know, you're probably prone or predisposed to falling into these traps that make you feel good uh, temporarily. And some of these religions are really good at identifying people who have that desperate need for more um, and to exploit that, you know, uh, need for purpose or for a sense of value. Um, I think about like Scientology, they'll give you an IQ test, a personality test and then make you feel meaningless and then offer you meaning through the church. So don't look for your meaning in church is what I'm saying. Um, look for it somewhere else and then find, you know, whatever supernatural belief complements uh, what's, you know, deep in your heart. Yes. Thank Absolutely. you so much, Miguel, for joining us. And yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Yeah. Thank you everybody for watching, for listening. Please subscribe on YouTube. Uh, my channel is Carissa Does, and for the time being, that's where we're posting our edit, well, our edited video podcasts. You can look for Base Podcast on Instagram, and also please follow Miguel Allegedly. Miguel recently had uh, his account taken down. I'm Fuck not sure. I'm not sure exactly what happened. Uh, yeah, that's I basically got removed. Um, you know, yeah, follow me at Miguel Allegedly on Instagram. And then once I'm back up, it's at Allegedly Miguel. I just had to set up a separate account because, you know, I report on people who are members of the far right and uh, basically Doc stayed anti-vaxxer in our community. So and she their, got all her friends. comes over and tries to... Yeah, they start, it's their favorite thing. Yeah. Start, they love just mass reporting. You know, call it, we call it dragging. Over. Yep. Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. So you had like 2,000 followers. Hopefully you can get that account back. You yeah. get that following back. Where can people, you said people can find you on Spotify, your, your podcast again. Yes. It yeah. Is. Follow us. We are on Spotify. We're also on anchor.fm. That's a way to listen for free. If you would like to, uh, it is the post capital, a uh, post capitalist anti-fascist analysis of our news. So mm -hmm. awesome. listen and catch I, uh, up and uh, hopefully we can have one of you guys on soon enough. Miguel, yeah, I'd love awesome. to talk about capitalism, uh, economic systems or everything I studied. So uh, hit me up. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we'll do. Yeah. Thank you again for being here. Uh, we will have live podcasts every week. Hope is, is the plan. So, so join us again next time, everybody. Have a great night. Peace, love, donuts. Peace, love, donuts. Adios. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of our podcast. Please tune in next time. For more rebellious, considerate, and open-minded chats about different topics with different guests. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else that you listen to your podcasts.